So this morning I'm looking at um, Matthew 11:28 as sort of one of my key verses. Uh, and it says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Now I don't know what sort of new year you had. I know we're a few months into the new year now, but New Year is usually a time of change, the part of the year where people make their resolutions that they're going to hopefully stick to for the remainder of the year. But Australians are actually quite cautious about this. Statistics show that when it comes to their hopes, plans and aspirations for 2022, they're treading really cautiously. A study by Finder suggests that in the past two years, that time span is making an impact on the resolutions we make for this year. With COVID playing an impact, 17% of us won't be resolving to do anything, according to the Finder research. What's the point, was one person's response to the survey. Who knows what will happen, and I don't keep the resolutions I make anyway. Anyone sort of relate to that, maybe? Of those that replied to the survey, the top New Year's resolutions made by Australians this year were, number one, top one, exercise and lose weight. Number two, link to that, eat healthier. Number three, travel overseas. Maybe. Starting to open up. Number four, more meditation and mindfulness. And number five, a better work-life balance. A tree sea change. There was a surprising surge in uptake towards meditation and mindfulness, with one commentator describing it this way. Over the past two years, people are really looking to find some peace and meaning in their lives. They have altered the perception of what is important in their lives. Coincidentally, yesterday, does anyone know what it was? World Sleep Day. All right, and a quick Google search showed a whole bunch of images related to people resolving to get more rest, to sleep with quality, to have a sound mind, a happy world. In fact, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Have you heard that before? My grandma used to say that to me all the time. It never worked. I'm a laid out. I don't tend to go to bed too early and wake up too early either. Um, but this one stuck out to me. This concept, based on the research with Australians, saying that we are looking for more rest, we are looking for more meaning in our lives. Now, the last couple of years have been pretty tough on a lot of people. I know that we've met for the last you know, month or two now, but prior to that, in the last two years, it's been real hit and miss. And when you used to catch up with people, you'd often chat and you'd go, hey, how was your weekend? How, how's, how are you going? And you'd get the occasional person you hadn't seen for a while that thought you wanted to hear the last four years of their life story when you asked that question. And then there are others that are really just, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good. No real response. And the two responses that I remember or hearing and getting was, I'm really busy and I'm really tired. Have you ever said those? But, you know, in the last two years, often it's the less of the, the busy so much as it is the I'm tired. So... After two weeks of summer holidays, uh, at the end of last year, I asked my wife how she was feeling. Her response was tired, just really tired. And you talk to colleagues and you go, how are you feeling at the end of a school year? Just so tired. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. 
But over the last few years, I've noticed life seems to be speeding up so much more and gets harder and harder to feel like I can catch up, that I can keep up, that I'm actually feeling like I'm out of breath and I'm like, oh, man, this, what is going on? It's, it's like a physical tide, but it's not so much physical. It's like we're tired on the inside. came across a video in the holidays that uh, made me really think about the way I was feeling at the end of the school year a little bit more. Um, and it talked about the way our brains work when we try to do too much multitasking and not getting enough downtime. I want to share it with you briefly, and then I'm going to comment on it. If what happens works. to us if we never get bored? It turns out that when you get bored, you ignite a network in your brain called the default mode. So our body, it goes on autopilot while we're folding the laundry or we're walking to work, but actually that is when our brain gets really busy. So this is my brain in an fMRI, and I learned that in the default mode, that is when we connect disparate ideas, we solve some of our most nagging problems. This is when we look back at our lives, we take note of the big moments, we create a personal narrative, and then we set goals, and we figure out what steps we need to take to reach them. Here's boredom researcher Dr. Sandy Mann. Once you start daydreaming and allow your mind to really wonder, you start thinking a little bit beyond the conscious, a little bit into the subconscious, which allows sort of different connections um, to take place. It's really awesome, actually. But now we chill out on the couch, also while updating a Google Doc or replying to email. Here's what neuroscientist Dr. Daniel Levison says we're actually doing. Every time you shift your attention from one thing to another, the brain has to engage a neurochemical switch that uses up nutrients in the brain to accomplish that, four or five things at once. You're not actually doing four or five things at once because the brain doesn't work that way. Instead, you're rapidly shifting from one thing to the next, depleting neural resources as you go. So a decade ago, we shifted our attention at work every three minutes. Now we do it every 45 seconds, and we do it all day long. The average person checks email 74 times a day and switches tasks on their computer 566 times a day. Researchers at USC have found they're studying teenagers who are on social media while they're talking to their friends or they're doing homework. And two years down the road, they are less creative and imaginative about their own personal futures and about solving societal problems. So the next time you go to check your phone, ask yourself, what am I really looking for? Because if it's to check email, that's fine. Do it and be done. But if it's to distract yourself from doing the hard work that comes with deeper thinking, Take a break, stare out the window, and know that by doing nothing, you are actually being your most productive and creative self. It might feel weird and uncomfortable at first, but boredom truly can lead to brilliance. Interesting, because here I was thinking I was really good at multitasking, all right? Almost every teenager believes that they're good at multitasking. And if you listen to society stereotypes, women are supposedly really good at this too. Yet, in an attempt to multitask, I wonder if we're actually making ourselves more tired. Was it because I was doing too much that I was feeling this fatigue? Did I need to do more nothing? I mean, if my attention is shifting every 45 seconds all day long, and I'm switching on my computer 566 times a day, no wonder my brain feels tired, right? I read an article by Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, and it was based on a TED talk that she presented. Now, forgive me, I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher, so I've got some things up here for you as well to look at, but 
Have you ever tried to fix an ongoing lack of energy by getting more sleep? Is anyone going, oh man, I'm so tired, I just need to go to bed early, I'm going to get more sleep. Did it work? Usually doesn't, because we only do that to get more rest, but sleep and rest are not the same thing. And we go through life thinking we've rested because we've gotten enough sleep, but in reality, we miss out on the other types of rest we desperately need. She lists seven areas of rest. Physical rest. This can be passive or active. Passive is sleeping or napping, while active is activities like yoga, stretching, massage, those sorts of things, and who doesn't love a good massage, right? Mental rest. You know that co-worker who starts every day with a huge cup of coffee? They're often irritable and forgetful, and uh, they have a difficult time concentrating on their work. When they lie down at night, frequently struggle to go to sleep, and can't turn off your brain as conversations from the day fill thoughts. And despite sleeping seven, eight hours, wake up as if they'd never gone to bed. I know I felt that way at times. Computer screens, background noise, multiple conversations, whether it's in office or on Zoom calls or Teams with school recently, um, it can cause us to sense our senses to feel overwhelmed. And it's because we're being countered by doing something, as, well, we can counter that by doing something as simple as closing our eyes for a minute in the middle of the day. But we really need to intentionally unplug from electronics at the end of the day. Intentional moments of sensory deprivation can undo the damage inflicted by an overstimulating world. Creative rest. God did this in the seven days he created the world. Creative rest reawakens the awe and the wonder inside each of us. Do you remember the first time you saw the Great Barrier Reef? Or, or maybe it's just a simple thing as a forest or a waterfall or, or the ocean. Allowing ourselves to take in the beauty of the outdoors, even if it's your own backyard, provides creative rest. Emotional rest is number five that um, Dr. Sandra identifies. And she says, let's look at that in- individual, that friend whom everyone thinks is the nicest person they've ever met, It's a person that everyone depends on, the one you'd call if you needed a favour because even though they don't necessarily want to, they're not going to say no, it's more a reluctant yes than the truthful no. But when this person is alone, they feel unappreciated like others are taking advantage of them. Emotional rest also requires the courage to be authentic. An emotionally rested person can answer the question, how are you, truthfully. I'm not okay, and then can go on to say and share some hard things that otherwise go unsaid. Number six is social rest. This occurs when we fail to differentiate between those relationships that revive us compared to those relationships that exhaust us. To experience more social rest, we need to surround ourselves with positive and supportive people to engage more fully in them. Spiritual rest, and this is the rest I want to talk about today. It's the ability to connect beyond the physical and the mental and feel a deep sense of belonging, love and acceptance and purpose. Now, it's interesting that science is saying these things that the Bible has been saying for centuries. Sleep alone doesn't restore us to the point where we feel rested. So, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to come and open them up and let's have a look at John chapter 4 together. It'll be on the screen if you don't have them. But we're going to explore a story that isn't usually linked 
to this concept of rest. You know, I was listening to a sermon on this chapter recently, and I've listened to a lot of sermons, probably like some of you have over the years on, on this chapter. But it challenged me because I heard something I'd never heard before, and I want to share it with you. And this story is about the Samaritan woman. We call her the woman at the well. Kind of alliterates really nicely, doesn't it? The woman at the well. The woman who had five husbands, and number six wasn't her husband either. But as I was thinking about this, how are you really on the inside? How am I? It made me think about this story, and let me give you some context to this. Let's read John chapter 4, verse 1 to 3 together. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Verse 3, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Reading through this chapter, we tend to skip over these first three verses when we want to look at the story of the woman at the well. Because we want to start the story in verse 4, but if we back up and look at this, it's interesting because it shows Jesus wasn't controlled by the agenda of us. They had these sort of different controversies. They had politics. They had the, the Samaritans. They had the Sanhedrin. They had the Pharisees. They had all these subgroups that were vying for political and spiritual power. And in order to keep their power, the Pharisees didn't care what they had to say. They didn't care who they had to trample on, who they had to hurt, or what misinformation they had to spread. So when the prophet from Galilee started performing miracles, that was a threat. He was born in and when he started baptizing people, he started gaining popularity. He represented a threat to the religious establishment. And that religious establishment had become so political, it had lost the heart of what the father wanted. They built the kingdom of their own ideologies. And in this story, we see that Jesus refused to be contained or confined by any ideology or any party. The more they tried to create this pressure for him, the more he was like, I'm out. This isn't who I am. This isn't what I've come for. I'm gone. And in Jesus' day, they didn't always report the facts on the news. So when the Pharisees said, he's baptizing more than John, this guy's getting powerful, we've got to stop him. Well, they actually got it wrong. It's not what was happening. They had their facts completely wrong. I wonder sometimes if we get our facts wrong. A lot of what we say God does, he's not actually doing. I guess it isn't much different today with our politics and our controversies, even inside the church. In today's environment, especially social media, it's hard not to be able to trust any information from anywhere. I don't know what to read anymore. Fake news, constant catch crop. It's like everybody has an angle, an agenda. Pharisee said, he's baptizing more than John. You'd better do something. But he wasn't. Which in itself is kind of shocking, if you really think about it, because how does Jesus learn anything? How does the one who is wisdom learn anything? Well, they bring him the report. They tell him, Pharisees are getting really nervous about what you're doing and what's happening. So he says, all right, let's go. So then we get to this part of the story in verse 4, where it says, now he had to go through Samaria. Samaria. Kind of catches you out, this verse. 
It's a bit surprising because Jesus didn't have to do anything. He wasn't controlled by anyone. In fact, the only agenda he was fully committed to was that of his Father in heaven. Whose agenda are you controlled by? Is it the agenda of Jesus? Jesus' agenda wasn't imposed on by external forces, yet Jesus had to go through Samaria. Not because Peter told him to, not because he took a vote and it was the popular thing to do. In fact, his base hated the fact that he wanted to go through Samaria. How many times do you hear in the Bible of Jesus or his disciples going through Samaria? Once. Why? The Jews hated going through Samaria. Because even though there wasn't a national distinction, there was a huge internal distinction. In fact, they would walk twice as long to go around Samaria as to go through it. Samaria said another way, is some area. We all have some area, an area we're trying to avoid. In fact, sometimes the reason that we're so tired is because we're working around everything that God is trying to bring us through. We're counterproductive with God, what God wants. We often the form of that workaround creates a greater dependency on something that wears us out. We don't have to understand the geography of this verse to be able to understand it spiritually. We all must go through some area. For Jesus, it was that northern part of the kingdom. It was a place that most people would double back and avoid. They would turn a three-day journey into a six-day journey just so they didn't have to go through it. He had to go through some area. Even though it was the most direct path, it was the route less taken. Before we continue looking at the rest of this story, let me ask you this question. What are you working around in your life that God wants you to walk through? And how much longer will you do it that way? You see, everything in that text is inward. From the outside, Jesus has pressure from the Pharisees, but he's not controlled by that. He's guided from the inside. And that's a really awesome thing about instability in the world around us. It helps us get our center of gravity from God. Not from everything else external. He had to go through Samaria, not because it was the predictable path, and certainly not because it was popular path, but because it was the path of his purpose. Let's read verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. In verse 6 we read, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus... Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. In verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And in verse 8, we see this odd little statement in brackets. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Why had his disciples gone into town? Why not just one or two? He had 12. Why all of them? Maybe he was tired not just from his journey. Maybe he was tired from his disciples too. You know, parents, school holidays, you know where I'm going with this. Your kids all day, every day are around you. What do you feel? What happens? 
We get to that point where you get just a little bit tired from them, right? Maybe just want to break for a bit. And maybe Jesus felt that way too. So he sends his disciples into town and he sits down at this well. And I can just picture him saying, you know what, all you guys, what would be great right now is if you just all went down, run this little errand, just go get some food for me. Just all of you go. That'd be great. And sometimes we have to send people away. Sometimes we have to say, hey, I'm working on this right now. Like, I appreciate you, I love you, and I'll see you when you get back with those French fries on the Sunday. Like, just go. <laughs> see you when you get back. Give me some space. And it seems so odd that we see Jesus tired. He had to go through Samaria, and we see in verse 6 he says how tired he was. He sat down because he was tired. Yet, that's a bit confusing. Why? We see this verse in Isaiah. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Tired, sitting at the well, yet we're told God never gets tired. He will not grow tired and weary. You know, I know that there are people over the last few years who have wondered how much longer they will have a job. There are people who are hurting, who are tired. There are people having to give up their jobs because of the vaccine mandates. Life is a challenge. You know, we're tired. What do I tell the person who's too tired to go on? What do I tell the one who just says, I'm done. God says, I got tired too. Jesus sat down in Samaria to talk to a woman to ask for some water. Why? Because he was tired. He was fully God, fully man, yet at the same powerful God who created the world, who created us, was tired. Being weary doesn't mean that we're weak. Jesus was tired too of the disciples, of the Pharisees. He couldn't move without the Pharisees watching him. He couldn't wash his hands without them knowing and following him. You'll know he was tired of them. But it says in the text that he was tired from the journey. Now think about that journey for a second. They walked everywhere. No Uber, no taxis, no private car or public transport. If you had money, it was maybe a camel or a donkey or a horse. But if not, they walked everywhere. A three-day walk from where they were baptizing through Samaria. Straight through was a shortcut. And often the direct route is the divine route. Instead of hiding the fact that we're tired, maybe we just need to say, God, I'm tired. We worship a God who is powerful enough to give us strength and who's human enough to get tired. He'd walked for about six hours that morning. They typically left early in the morning and stopped for the heat of the day. So leaving at about 6 a.m., stop at noon. It's pretty hot. It's the heat of the day. Of course he's feeling tired. Did he go through Samaria because he was tired of the way they were treating each other? Why was he tired? Why did he come? To abolish the barriers that we erect with those around us. Now, what happens when you get tired? 
Everyone has a fight or flight reflex, a psychosomatic response in the brain that you get scared or you get tired or you get frightened, you go into fight or flight mode. So when I get tired, I become a little snappy turtle. My wife knows that meaning <laughs> in a car ride. She felt that way. Uh, we see this in the way we treat each other. We treat our families. We treat our friends. When you get tired, you start fighting battles that don't matter, and you get distracted from the ones that do. That's me. I start arguing, fighting everyone when I get quite tired and cranky. And Jesus said to his disciples, you know what? You guys, go get lunch. I'm sitting here for a minute because the ones you're fighting against are the ones I came to save. He had to go through Samaria. He had to sit down. There was a woman coming who needed him, and she didn't even know it. She had no idea who he was. He sat down because he was tired. Faith doesn't prevent fatigue. It just gives you a place to sit. He sat by a well. And here's the important thing. What well do you sit by when you're tired? He said in the text that it was Jacob's well. Joseph was given that well by Jacob. That was generations before Jesus. A lot of what our kids learn come from us. It's generational. Jesus sat down by that well. And in the context of our country, in our society, in the world around us, what wells are we digging so our kids can sit next to? And I'm not talking so much about a physical tired as a soul inside tired. Sometimes we need to sit down by a real well. A lot of the places that we are sitting at while we're tired are only making us more dehydrated. A lot of the places that we're drinking from are making us dumber, more fragmented, less whole, less informed. This woman comes up, just picture it, it's noon, she's sneaking away from all the people who talk about her. She's a woman, specifically a Jewish man, specifically a rabbi. Jesus says to her, hey, can I get a drink? It's not a pickup line. It's not a surface level question. This is Jesus asking this woman, do you even know what's inside you? If you only see things on the surface, if you judge how people judge, you will never see what's inside. This was Jacob's well, but it was really just something for Jesus to sit on. And when he asked this woman for a drink, he wasn't just talking about water. He was going deeper. And we see this in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus offered living water, and for too long in my life, I've sat by the wrong wells. I'm trying to get a drink, you're feeling so thirsty, drinking deeply, but still so dehydrated. What about you? I've been depending on people to inform me about who I am. I've been depending on what I see with my eyes to tell me how it is, but there's a well that doesn't come from an external source. There's a spirit within us that is greater than what is going on around us. The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. She sat on that well, calling us to sit on that well also. He made us for a time when the world is so divided. He made us for a time when the world is really apathetic. 
He sat by that well to talk to a woman who had five husbands, was with and living with number six, so that she would know he was number seven. On the first day of creation, he worked. Second day, he worked. On the third and the fourth, fifth and the sixth day, he worked. And we know on the seventh, he rested. Not because he needed it, but because she did. That's what I love about a God who will not only fight for me, walk with me, talk with me. He is the God who will come through 41 generations of people and go through some area just to sit with me. This woman had been passed around like the jar she carried that to the well that day. She knew what it felt like to be used. Did he sit down at that well that day because he was tired or because she was? We say, I'm tired. God says, me too. I'm tired of seeing how people treat each other. I'm tired of the injustice. I came as a man to die on that tree so that I can say it's finished, so you can rest. So he says, just sit with me for a minute. Just sit by the well, the well that will never run dry. Jesus felt the woman, sorry, Jesus felt what the woman felt by that well that day. In Isaiah, we see even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When we're tired, we must be careful not to become dehydrated. You have to drink this living water, this water that comes from uh, quench our thirst. The verse I shared with you at the beginning, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, in a different version from the message says, Are you tired, worn out, burned on religion, life? I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company in with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. I am the light. I am the shepherd. I am the gate. I am the way. I am the well. And I am within you. You'll never need, or you'll never get what you need from out there. It's all in here. It is a well that springs up from within, and it's a well that men did not dig. It's a well that does not consult external situations. It's the well of the Holy Spirit. And God says, I came all this way through 41 generations to sit with you. You know, maybe you came into this place today thinking, I'm tired on the inside. God says, I know. It's all right. Why don't you go ahead and leave that jar that you brought behind? Just like that woman the jar represents what you've been carrying that you weren't meant to carry alone. He wants us to put it down and receive what only he can give. Water that never runs dry. As we move into the rest of this year, I pray that our resolutions are to stop chasing those things that don't restore us to build those wells that our future generations can sit at and experience Jesus. Find those right wells 
so we'll never thirst again. Let's pray together. Dear God, so often in our lives we chase the things that are, are meaningless, the things that don't revive us, the things that don't restore us. We chase things because probably the world around us says that that's what we need. We sleep to overcompensate for the rest we don't get. We're overstimulated by the world around us and we don't shut down. And you tell us through your example in the Bible how you went out from everyone and just spent time with your father in the desert. And we too need those moments in our lives where we just shut everything out and we commune with you. We thank you for the example that you set by going through Samaria, an area that no one else wanted to go through, an area where people avoided, yet you take us directly through the middle of it. And we pray, Lord, today that in our lives that you take us through those areas that challenge us. Whatever those areas are, we all have them that, that cause us to not rest and cause us to not live with you. We pray, Father, today that um, you will help us to sit down at the wells that rehydrate, that fill us with you, that help us to rest the way you intended when you created this world. And we're thankful that you come through 41 generations to come and sit with us. I pray too, Father, that in sitting with you, that you help us to pass on this, this living water to our future generations, that we don't become so focused on ourselves, that we can pass on the blessings that you provide into the lives of our future generations. And we pray, Father, that you fill us today with your spirit, that we will be completely and utterly filled so that we can overflow into the lives to rest in those moments when we feel like all we can do is work. Help us to live under the example you set, knowing that you meant so much more for us than what this world has to offer and that you're coming soon to take us home to be able... We love you and we can't wait to see you. In your name, amen.